You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Morning. My name is Dora Drendel, and I'll be reading this morning's passage, which comes from Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. Please go there with me. Uh, You can find that on page 598 of the Chairback Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that one as a gift from us to you. Um, Read with me. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Please please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us all here together. Thank you for your word, that it is truth and it has the power to transform us. I pray that you be with Jeremy as he preaches your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will speak to him, through him, to our hearts. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dora. Did you know that right now we are in the middle of the greatest war our world has ever known? Did you know that the war that has become more vast than any war in history the war that has cost more lives than any in history, the war that has the greatest impact on our world, more than anything else in all of history, is happening right now. You and I are in the middle of that war. Now, Google will tell you something different. I learned from Google that the second greatest war as far as lives are concerned, was Genghis Khan. And it cost like 40 million lives. That went over 200 years. And all that he did, Google tells me the greatest war was World War II, 90 million estimated dead. But neither of those wars, even combined, can touch the war you and I are in the middle of that started way back in Genesis 3 and continues all the way to today. 
award that has touched, according to Google, 100 billion people. That's the number Google tells me have ever lived in the history of the world. From Adam and Eve till now, 100 billion people. And what I'm telling you is, you and I are right now in the middle of the greatest war the world has ever known. And it is cosmic, spiritual, impacting every person, it is a glory war. It is a war to try to get glory for ourselves. Any in here ever noticed how hungry and desperate you are for glory? Anybody coming off a long week where you were grinding it out, trying, hoping, looking just for a chance to touch or taste glory. We're all hardwired for it. And so many of us are unaware that it is a glory war that is battling for our hearts and minds. But once you get it, once you see it, it actually has so much explanatory power because it helps us appreciate then why it is that so many of us have been working so hard to try to just get a little taste of it. I mean, it explains why Genghis Khan did his thing. He thought, man, if I just step on a few throats, if I just take a few countries over, maybe I could just touch glory. And I, I realize we're in Johnson County and we're all so sophisticated, so we try to get glory in some different ways. We're in the middle of a glory war, and the way so many of us try is, man, if I could just have the most stuff, if I could just have the best toys, if, if I could just have the best experiences, if I could just get enough money in my account, if I could just climb the, the ladder high enough, if I could just go on the best vacations, if I just had the best family, if I had the best spouse, if I became the best version of myself. If I could just have the best collection, if I could cheer for the best teams, if I could just get the approval, if I could just be comfortable enough, it's all glory war and it's, it's why so many people are trying to find that perfect drink because they think, man, if I could just have that great moment at that great party with that great high, why, then that would just finally give me what I'm looking for. It's why... It's why it's so powerful in our culture to try to find glory sexually. It's like, man, if I could just get that thing, that's really what I'm looking for. And all of us, everyone here wired for glory, and we're all hunting for it, thinking, if I could just get the right destination in my Google Maps, I could actually get my glory. And the war never stops. And our, our desire for glory never ends. And so many of us, if we're honest, we walk in here this morning, and we are just tired. We are weary from trying to find glory on our own. When our text today, Jesus is going to show his disciples how this glory war operates. And if you'll lean in with us, he is going to give his disciples two truths that help make sense 
of the glory war. And, and these two truths for us today can actually benefit you so much so that actually when you walk out these doors, you would be able to go, aha, I get the war, I get the battle for glory, and now I know the pathway to actually get where I want to go. And so that's what we're going to do in our sermon today is we're going to look at two truths that the disciples had to understand to make sense of the glory war. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Luke chapter 9? We begin in verse 28 where we're going to get the first truth. We'll talk through the second, and we'll finish with application. That's what will happen for the sermon this morning. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write down this first truth the disciples needed to make sense of the glory war. Here it is. Jesus knows the path to glory. Jesus knows the path to glory. Look with me at verse 28 to see that Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John up a mountain to pray. And notice that the verse begins with now about eight days after these sayings. Just scan up to verse 22 to see what sayings we're talking about. Verse 22 is where Jesus told his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Verse 22 is the first time that Jesus has told the disciples, you need to know what's coming for me. And it's been eight days that they've had to chew on that message. Chew on the idea that, that their guy was going to be going to his death. And for eight days they may be wondering, really? Is this what we're going to do? Is this who we're going to follow? A guy who's already telling us he's going to lose? But Jesus takes him up a mountain. And up on the mountain, he gives them a glorious affirmation. He gives these three guys confirmation. Because here's what I mean. Look at 29. Look at 29. Jesus, he suddenly changes. Some way he changes. Well, pastor, how does he change? I don't know. It didn't tell us, does it? But he is different. He's altered. Well, what's he look like? Look in the text. His clothes are suddenly white like lightning. I guess y'all had never seen lightning before. Because lightning makes you go, whoa, what? Oh, that's like scary. And all of a sudden, here's regular Jesus. He walks up a mountain, and then boom, everything's different. And what he's given these guys eight days later is, hey, just so you know, where I'm going, it's glory. But you can have affirmation. I am confirming for you, it's real. Jesus showing with his actions, I know how to get to glory. So Jesus is looking different, white light lightning, and all of a sudden he's talking to two guys, and not just any two guys. Look in the text who all of a sudden Jesus is talking to. None other than Moses and Elijah. I mean, if you were just going to pick two guys from the Old Testament to go have lunch with, could you find two more famous guys? Moses and Elijah, and I'm just imagining Peter, James, and John are thinking, oh, mercy, what in the world is happening right now? There is radical brilliance, and Peter, James, and John are getting to see glory. 
It's brief, but it's beautiful. Proving Jesus knows what he's talking about when he's told them that in view of this glory war, he's going to have to go die. Here then, Peter, James, and John have undeniable, definitive proof Jesus knows the way. In verse 31, Jesus, in all this glory, is talking with Moses and Elijah about his coming departure. Now, if you have your Bible open, look at that word departure there. Does your Bible have a little footnote next to that word? Mine does. And it tells me that that's the word for exodus. Exodus, how interesting. Jesus is talking about his exodus with Moses. Hmm. And based on that saying from verse 22, we realize Jesus isn't talking about something with Egypt. And he's not talking about the Red Sea. There will be an exodus, but Jesus' exodus is accomplished in Jerusalem. But how much of the conversation did Peter, James, and John hear? Well, we don't really know because look at verse 32. They're asleep for part of it. Bless their hearts. <laughs> I mean, is there a more important note at this point of Luke that they should be like leaning in and taking notes and trying to remember everything? And they're taking a nap. You know, I suppose Peter waking up, middle of 32, helps us understand why he would say something so ridiculous because look what he says in verse 33 hey jesus this is great man here we are we we should just stay here let's camp out i volunteer to put up the tents what peter's getting lest we make too much fun of him what peter's getting is there is glory happening and when you taste that glory, you want to stay in that glory. And we can appreciate then why Peter's wanting to camp out. There is glory on that hill, but what Peter didn't get was the path to glory didn't stay on that hill. There was another hill that was going to lead to glory. It wasn't this one. Verse 35, God the Father has some words to say. Perhaps a correction to Peter is, the father says, this is my son, my chosen son, my beloved son. Listen to him. It's as if the father is essentially saying, well, good gravy. How's that? Okay. Having spoken these words to Peter, James, and John, it's as if... The Father wants those three to realize Jesus knows the path to glory. He knows the path to glory, so listen to him. You need to follow him. You want glory? Clearly, Peter wants glory. He's wanting to camp out up there, but this isn't where you're going to find glory. The way to glory is with Jesus. That's what the Father is saying. In verse 36, they didn't talk about this. They kept silent for a while. But man, I would have loved to have been there when the lights came on for them. Any teachers in here 
know of the aha moment kids will have when you're trying to explain a concept to them. Man, I would have just loved to see Peter, James, and John's face when all of a sudden they went, you mean Moses in the Exodus actually points to another Exodus? Oh, you mean, you mean Elijah is actually preparing the way for a greater Elijah? Oh, you mean this thing where God takes his people out of slavery? That's what Jesus is doing too? Oh. And that would have been cool to be there for that moment. When they finally understood, we're in the middle of a glory war, and we aren't going to win that glory war on our own. But there is one who knows the path to glory, and his name is Jesus. This then, the first truth that the disciples had to understand, Jesus knows the path to glory. He knows it. And so if they would follow him, if they would stick with him, if they would be with him the entire way, they too would be able to get to glory. But here's the second truth that the disciples needed to understand. We need to get this too. Here it is. Our paths to glory fail. In case you come, came in here thinking, Actually, pastor, I've had a baller week. I crushed everything I did, and I just found myself continuing to be victorious in every effort I put myself toward. I'm actually King Midas, thank you very much. If that's you, and your paths to glory you feel like are actually successful, I don't think this is going to mean very much to you. But for anybody in here who's weary of trying to make it work and is continuing to strive and noticing that all of the ways they're trying to find glory leaves them more frustrated and more down and out. For anybody in here willing to admit, I want to find purpose, I want to find greatness, I'm hunting for transcendence, but all of the ways I'm trying to get there don't work. This is encouragement. Our paths to glory fail. And what Luke does then is, in this final section, captures four ways they fail. If you want to write all four down, please be my guest. The first way it fails is faithlessness. Look there from 37 to 50, there's this, excuse me, 37 to 43, there is this crowd waiting for Jesus. And the man, he's begging Jesus, he's begging the disciples, please heal my son, but the disciples can't do it. Which should be a little weird to us, because at the beginning of chapter 9, verse 6, the disciples could do this. Okay? Not so long ago, Jesus had sent them out with power to heal and preach, and they were able to heal and preach. But now, all of a sudden, they can't. So Jesus shows up, and this man's like, please heal my son. And Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes the disciples in verse 41. And he says, disciples, you're basically like Israel and the wilderness. Which church, have you noticed already in this section how much Jesus is calling back to Moses in the Exodus? He's saying, disciples, you're just like the Israelites. The Israelites had been delivered from all of the oppression of Egypt with all of these plagues. And they had walked through the Red Sea. I mean, this sea split in two and towers of water and they're walking through it and then Egypt, which was the world's greatest power. Egypt is the superpower in those days. And they just get wiped out by the hand of God. And they make it into the wilderness and God provides them food. Every day there's manna. And, and, yet, and yet the Israelites were faithless. 
And Jesus is saying, you disciples are the same thing. Because Jesus had come on the scene and he had healed people. There were, there were people who were blind who could now see. There was that paralyzed man. He could not walk and Jesus, boom, heals him. I mean, not so long ago, if you were with us, there was a dead kid, only son. He was dead. And they're having the funeral procession. And then Jesus just comes up and goes, boom, life. And in what I think is like the scariest part, like horror story stuff, he just sits up and the is alive. The disciples saw that. And then here they are yet, they are being faithless. Verse 42, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the boy. But what Luke is doing in capturing this first vignette is showing us this. The path with Jesus is not marked by faithlessness. Or let me say it positive. You know you are on the path with Christ. You know you are following him to glory if you are faithful. If you are full of faith. If you really believe Jesus is who he says he is. Our path to glory will fail. Our path is not to be faithless. The second pathway Jesus corrects is the pathway of misunderstanding. Look at 43b to 45. As everyone else is marveling at what Jesus had just done in healing, Jesus speaks just to his disciples. Like a coach, he says to the guys, listen, listen, fellas, you got to know something. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. What Jesus is, is trying to help them get is the pathway to glory is going to go through suffering. Jesus is going to have to endure the cross at Jerusalem. And so persecution and rejection and suffering is happening. And Jesus, like this coach, is saying, they're going to hand me over to the bad guys. you got to get that. Get it, disciples, but the disciples don't understand Christ. And here's the truth. Until they understand where Jesus is going, they will fail to follow him. And friends, that's true for us today. Until you understand where Jesus is going, you will fail to follow him as well. We aren't to misunderstand Jesus God has written his words down. We have this gospel of Luke so that we might have understanding. Our paths to glory will fail. If we are faithless, that is not on the destination of glory with Jesus. Neither is misunderstanding. Jesus wants to correct that. The third pathway Jesus corrects, look at verse 46 to 48, is the path of arrogance. Having rebuked the disciples and then tried to explain what's coming, the disciples begin bickering about who's the greatest. How ridiculous, right? I'm actually a better disciple than you. You're ugly and he likes me better. He sat next to me. Oh, no, you're not. He had me hold his water bottle. That clearly means I'm, I'm better than you. And Jesus, with such incredible patience speaks to their heart issues in 47.
clearly the disciples are lost on their path to glory because they think the path to glory is marked with arrogance and we can appreciate it because so many of us today still think the same way. We think, man, if I can just step on a few throats, if I can just be like Genghis Khan, man, I'm going to be a somebody and everybody better get out of my way. But true greatness isn't found in pride and true glory isn't for the arrogant. Instead, You're on the pathway to glory like Jesus. You're following Jesus the right way when your life is marked with humility. When you're caring for the least of these, which is the example that Jesus gives. Right there in 48. See, the beauty of Jesus using a child as an example is that children were not valued in their culture. Now, in case you missed the memo, our culture idolizes children. I mean, there's very few things more important to our culture than children. But that was not the way it was then. In those days, children were like below the furniture in the family values. A child had no meaning, no purpose, no reason to invest your time in them. Until they become an adult, they're just worthless in the way. What a waste of time. That was the culture then. And Jesus saying, those who care about them are actually indicating they understand the path to glory. In Christ's economy, investing in the least actually pays glorious dividends. And humility then is a marker that you are following Christ to glory. No, arrogance is not the way to get to glory. Humility is, and that's the third correction. The fourth correction Jesus offers is seen in verse 49 and 50. Verse 49 and 50, John is joining Peter in what I imagine to be the wish I hadn't said that club. Peter earlier had said, hey, it's a great idea that we should put up some tents. Right, Jesus? Jesus goes, nope. It's not how it works, man. And I got to wondering, you know, someday in glory, God willing, a thousand years from now, all of us are there, and there's going to be some glorious moment. Do you think somebody will, like, look at Peter and be like, hey, should we put up some tents, bro? (laughs) You make that joke. I don't want to make that joke up there. You do it. I'll laugh. Peter, he's in the wish I didn't say that club. I think John's in the wish I didn't say it club either, too, because he hears, sees some guy out there casting demons out in the name of Jesus, and then, and, then, and, then, and then he comes back to say, Jesus, guess what I did? I told that guy, don't. I told that guy, uh, no thanks, uh, you don't have the right credential, we'll certify who's actually can do the demon exorcisms in the name of, and you don't have it, so stop it. I told him that, Jesus. Jesus. Correcting, correcting John. Jesus says, don't stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. I mean, the irony is, just a few moments earlier, do you remember the disciples could not cast out a demon? Jesus had to and called him faithless? At least this other guy is casting out a demon and having the power to do it. John, thinking he's doing everybody a favor by shutting that guy down, Jesus actually shutting John down, saying, 
on the path to glory, anybody who claims my name, anybody who has salvation in me, who gets me, is welcome to work on my behalf. Whether they're part of this 12 apostles or not, they can work on my name. The point is this. The path to glory is not exclusive for only people that we find in our crew. Jesus saying, don't be an intolerant exclusivist, man. There's got to be unity. There's got to be unity for the people who love Jesus, rightly understand Jesus, and believe in Jesus, and want to be with Jesus in glory. We ought to be working together, not telling people to shut it down because we don't like it because they're not in our club. With verse 50 finished, then we come to the end of our passage. Luke revealing how the disciples' path to glory were fatally flawed. The disciples, it's as if they've typed into their Google Maps, this is how we think we're going to get to glory. And Jesus going, no man, misunderstanding isn't going to get you there. Faithlessness isn't going to get you there. Arrogance isn't going to get you there. Being exclusive isn't going to get you there. Those paths to glory are going to fail. you got to go with Jesus if you want to get to glory. You want to be on the winning side of the cosmic glory war? you got to be on Jesus' side. you got to be with him, following him, because he knows the path to glory. But how then do we apply this truth of following Jesus? How then are we to actually take this word and push it into our lives? That's the last part of this sermon. It's where we move to application. And in view of our first section, how Jesus knows the path to glory, 28 to 36, I want to spend this time in application showing you from that section how we follow Jesus. Here then's how to do it. You want to get to glory? We've got to follow Jesus. And here then would be three steps the text gives us. The first step to following Jesus' glory is believing Jesus' identity. You have got to get Jesus' identity. You know, maybe you showed up this morning and, and you don't feel very familiar with the Bible. Some of this feels foreign to you. Maybe you're just checking Mill Creek out. Somebody invited you. You're just trying to figure out what's this Christianity thing all about or what's the Bible all about. I, I wonder if that's you. If you're just kind of checking this thing out, I wonder if you'd be willing to grant that there really is a glory war and we're all searching for our purpose for our greatness and transcendence through all these other means. I wonder if you're willing to grant that. And, and if you're willing to grant the premise, I wonder, for you, just checking this thing out, I wonder, how are you trying to achieve these objectives? In what ways are you looking for purpose and greatness and transcendence? How are you trying to taste glory? And how's it going for you? I mean, have you found what you're looking for? Again, those of you who would say, I certainly have. I suppose this sermon doesn't have much for you. I suppose this text doesn't have much for you. I suppose Christianity doesn't have much for you. Because what God's word said is, says is, you will never actually find what you're looking for if it's anything but Jesus. 
And my guess is, my guess is you walk in here actually wiped out, weary from all the ways that you're trying to somehow acquire glory. And have you noticed that in whatever ways you're trying to find glory, whatever your drug of choice is, whether it's cheering for the best teams or having the best friends or trying to have the best family or the best vacations or the most money or the most stuff or having the best substances or having the greatest high or trying to have the greatest sex, whatever your thing is, my guess is, or I hope you've noticed, that it is an unending treadmill that goes faster and faster and the incline gets steeper and steeper and you're trying as hard as you can and you never actually get there. This is one of Satan's biggest tricks. Every now and then, there's this moment of transcendence, like an appetizer before the main course that leads us to think, I can touch glory. And we think, man, if I could just go after that enough, I could get it. But you won't ever find what you're looking for. And the path to glory then is to reject all these ways that you're trying to do it on your own and to follow Jesus. And the way to follow Jesus, step one, is to believe his identity. To surrender all the ways that you are wrong and trying to get glory and say, I'm actually going to believe Jesus is who he says he is and he knows the way to glory. So you've got to surrender. The way to do that is verse 35, believing Jesus is the chosen son of God. Look, if you're here and you've ever prayed to yourself, God, I wish you would just speak to me. Would you just speak your very words to me? Because if you would speak to me, I would actually listen to you. Verse 35 is an answer of prayer. Verse 35 is the answer to prayer. It's a direct quote from God when he says, Jesus is my chosen son. Listen to him. Anybody in here wanting glory, listen to Jesus. Follow Jesus. God is speaking, as it were, even right now. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. He ultimately wins the glory war. The angels were right in Luke 2 when they said Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. Moses and Elijah are testifying on the top of a mountain. Believe Jesus' identity. That's the first step if you're going to be a part of the glory that Jesus is inviting you to. Experience. The second step would be to understand Jesus' departure. You've got to understand Jesus' departure. See, like the original Exodus, Jesus too is providing freedom to God's people who are enslaved. But he's not freeing us from the Egyptians. He's, he's freeing us from the tyranny of the evil one who has had us enslaved to sin. The way Jesus' departure works is he is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die on the cross. There on the cross, Jesus will save those who are his people from sin and death for eternity. And this is the departure that Jesus is talking about with Elijah and Moses. 
For how is it that Jesus is going to win this glory war? It's not like Genghis Khan by taking over all these countries. And it's not like Johnson County in trying to find all of this comfort and security in our stuff. And it's not through approval. And it's not through control. And it's not through power. Jesus is going to secure the glory war victory at the cross of Golgotha where he will be crucified for the sins of all the world. And if Google's right that 100 billion people have been living since Adam and Eve till now, I'm telling you, his death on the cross was sufficient for everyone. His blood is enough. But you've got to understand Jesus' departure if you're going to understand the path to glory because the path to glory for Jesus goes through Jerusalem. Jesus knows the path to glory. You've got to believe his identity. You've got to understand his departure. Third and finally, you've got to follow Jesus despite rejection. See, look, here's the facts. If you, if you don't follow Jesus, you will fail to find glory. Oh, there might be these moments, these one-offs in your life where all of a sudden you just have this momentary taste of a glory experience, but it won't last. It won't really satisfy you. If you want true glory, you follow Jesus. And if the chosen son of God had to undergo an exodus of suffering, you can believe that if you follow him, you will too. Here's what I mean. All of us, are just hardwired to believe that the world's pathways to glory will actually give us what we're looking for, but they always fail. And it's this principle of diminishing returns. It's why you always have to have a little more to get the same buzz. It's because nothing can actually give you the glory that you desperately want. But in Christ, he has secured for us victory in the cosmic glory war. And he's actually giving you a pathway to get what your heart is longing for. If you're here and you're wanting true greatness, genuine transcendence, the way to glory is in Jesus. But you have to understand to get where he's going, you will follow him and have to endure rejection, persecution, suffering. Oh, I know that's counterculture to what our world is telling us. I know that's, that's contrary to what we're hardwired to believe. But I'm telling you, Jesus knows the path to glory, and he knows the pathway to glory goes through rejection, not around it. And none of the ways that we try to find glory will ever satisfy, because I, I believe with all my heart that's the way God designed it. That's the way he designed it. C.S. Lewis thinks as much. He wrote 50 years ago, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What I'm trying to get you to understand, church, is you were made for glory. You've been made 
to be able to experience this mount of transfiguration moment where you go, yes, yes, this is what all of that other stuff ultimately pointed to. But the moment where all of the deep desires and the itch you couldn't ever scratch are finally fulfilled, and that's not going to happen on this side. It's going to happen on that one. And you can be a part of glory. You, you are being invited to have and taste and experience glory for all eternity. But it's, it comes by believing Jesus' identity, understanding his departure, and following him in rejection. Blaise Pascal, 400 years ago, said something similar when he writes, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There's two sides to this cosmic glory war. There's trying to get to glory your way, or there's going with Jesus. He will take you with him. Follow him. It will take you through suffering and rejection, but it is worth it. And when you do this, You'll know you're with Jesus when you are full of faith, understanding, humility, and unity. Hear then, church, God's word for us. Luke 9, 28 to 50. Jesus knows the path to glory. Our paths fail. Follow Jesus as he will bring us the victory. Amen, church. Will you pray with me? And now, Father, I pray that you would take this word. You would push it deep in our hearts. For those here who don't know you, Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Bring life, salvation. Lord, for those of us who believe in you, trusted you as our Lord and Savior, but even this week have struggled to rightly follow you, path to glory, would you grant us forgiveness, mercy. God, I pray that you would fan into flame this deep desire we have for your glory, and you would give us grace to follow you there. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.